Traveling the Vortex. Side trip. Fellow travelers, and welcome back to another uh, episode of Traveling the Vortex Side Trips. And uh, I'm Glenn, on my own this time again. Um, as you know, I am stepping back through time and uh, looking at some of the uh, Doctor's comics in chronological order, not necessarily in chronological order of how um, they were released, but in the order that they would fall in the Doctor's uh, timeline. So I've gone back and started with the first Doctor. And uh, as many of you know, if you've listened to the previous episodes, um, I'm using the Complete Adventures website um, by a man named Andrew Carley. And again, I have a link in last, uh, let's see, the last episode that I did. Uh, if you look back there, there's a link in that show. And if I remember, I'll try to put one in this show as well. And something that uh, we recently discovered is that one of our listeners is uh, actually following along with me uh, on this journey. Um, he is using the Complete Ventures as well, and he has been sending feedback. So um, I'm going to start from the beginning because he actually reviewed some of the ones that I did before, uh, and I'll just read those real quick. Uh, the Complete Adventures Feedback 1.1. Hi, Glenn. I've decided to journey along with you as you read the comics for all the Doctors in keeping with the Complete Adventures chronology. The journey so far has enlightened me to the fact that Operation Proteus, which was the first one, artist Martin uh, Garrity, I believe is how you say his name, is one of Doctor Who magazine's most versatile artists, having drawn stories featuring eight different incarnations of the Doctor and well over 15 companions. This story looks very much like a period piece because it's rendered in black and white and because it features the first Doctor and Susan, even though it's 30 years removed from the show's inception. My first impression was that Operation Proteus is a bit horrific for Doctor Who, However, upon further reflection, as a virtual member of the TARDIS crew in the Keys of Marinus that was seen my, reflect, seen my reflection in those glass domes encasing the Morpho being okay with a race of disembodied brains that has its eyes on stocks, well, explosive, unpredictable, and bizarre effects of genetic acceleration in the illustrated adventure written by Gareth Roberts have me rethinking my initial impression. I will say the character likeness is very good in this story, and I find it makes the comic-based adventures all the more enjoyable, as it is easier to mentally hear characters deliver their lines, not to be confused with hearing voices in my head. Now on uh, to In Between Times and Beyond. As always, I look forward to your next podcast, and until then, happy uh, travels. Uh, Blue Box Bill McCann Third. And uh, Bill actually sent some more, so let me find the next one. Here we go. The Complete Adventures Feedback 1.2 Hello Glenn. At this writing, I am in the midst of reading the Doctor Who on the web planet as it appears in issue 13 of Doctor Who Classic Comics, originally published in TV Comic 693 to 698. I mention that here as this self-imposed reading assignment during lockdown has been an interesting trek thus far, presenting its share of challenges along the way because locating some of these comics has been like mining gold. You may find a vein and never strike gold, but if you don't stay put and dig, you could miss a nugget that leads to another and yet another. I must say, this approach has paid off between my pre-existing collection of Doctor Who in print, which is loaded with comments. The same is true of the web. So, if you hit a snag finding a particular comic, let me know, and we can pull our resources. Sounds good. And I do expect... 
uh, every word I write about the complete adventure to be read into your podcast. <laughs> yes. No, Glenn. I don't. I don't. That's why it's your podcast, although you may want to clear it with Keith and Sean. <laughs> so in the oncoming storm of emails, uh, if it gets a bit much, let me know. However, there's something in my ramblings that bears repeating. Repeat away. No, I think it's okay, Bill, because um, as as you know, we're doing these now as, as side trips. So it affords us a little more time in the uh, episode. Uh, he says, honestly, I'm getting, uh, a re- I'm getting a real kick out of this. It validates my uh, fascination with the character and frames my fandom in a way that is both new and familiar, familiar at the same time. What I mean by that is that in the here and now world of 2020, to be reading periodical publications half a century removed, I better understand the opinion I've held about the classic era television series. That is, it is a product of its time and must be judged as such, not to be compared with modern who. To compare classic era special effects with, uh, which more often than not were practical effects, not visual, to compare them with new who CGI visual effects is apples to onions. My point being is that you can't appreciate the run of vintage comics, comics unless you mentally step back in time before you start reading them. Back to the days when the Time Lord lore didn't exist. That is very true, Bill. Um, that's what I'm finding, and, and I think I address that kind of in the quaintness of, of the, the, the retro feel of these comics, and it's easy to kind of fall back in that and go, okay, you know, the, we, we didn't know about Gallifrey. We didn't know about all these different things. So you're absolutely right. You have to put yourself in a mind frame of, of reading them at that time. Now back to where I left off at the conclusion of my last email, the Complete Adventures Feedback 1.1. Now he's on to the in-between times. Back in the day before CGI, I rendered all manner of subject matter in black and white with pen and ink and did so in a style that's practically identical to how John Stokes illustrated In Between Times, which is a combination of line, scribble, and stipple. So I I was really stoked, pun intended, by the look of this story, but as stories go, it's perhaps too short because there's not much to it. A few character likenesses prop up its narrative but only just in one panel we see a character sketch that is unmistakably susan yet in a different panel on the same page another character sketch that doesn't remember resemble susan all that much i would agree uh viewed as a segue to the next story i suppose it does the job i hope our little or i hold out little hope that there will be any callbacks to the in-between times at some point in the future probably not the path of skulls Atmospheric is my best one-word descriptor for Path of Skulls because it's rendered beautifully with character likenesses that are in the antithesis of caricature art, which tends to exaggerate aspects of one's features. Here we see the very essence of each character, a minimalist approach that usually tends to go one of two ways, by either detracting from the story or defining it. Here this little three-page story is defined by it. I'm not surprised that Barbara and Ian react as they do to the path, given where the narrative falls in their timelines after they, their televised trip back in time with the Doctor and Susan. Up next, a religious experience, and as always, I look forward to your next podcast. Until then, happy travels, Blue Box Bill McGann Third. Moving on to the next one, The Complete Adventures Feedback 1.3. Hi, Glenn. How's it going? Hope all is well, giving the new normal, whatever that smeg whatever the smeg that means. I'm I'm having a blast reading vintage Doctor Who comics and it's all your fault. Well, I'm glad. (laughs) A religious experience. 
There's nothing new under the sun, a daunting truism of every present challenge for a pop culture property like Doctor Who with a runtime approaching 56 years. And let's face it, there ain't much out there like Doctor Who, not in its purest form, in its simplest terms. As this trek through a two-dimensional reality unfolds, shadows of familiar plots collide in my mind's eye. The Doctor seems to change from one frame to the next while... Familiar monsters reincarnate into strange new forms of life. The word interesting falls short of an, of an adequate way to describe how each new story might look where it, were it to be lifted from the printed page and dropped into a live-action episode. While not, definitive, not a definitive list, The Power of Kroll, The Aztecs, The Face of Evil, The Seeds of Doom, and Ford of Doomsday all made timey-wimey cameo appearances in this comic, as did very strong character likenesses. That seems familiar has been a reoccurring impression throughout this comic journey. I have to keep reminding myself that what triggers such impressions are my memories about televised episodes, which I saw for the first time years, if not decades, after this collection of comics was published. So to, no ex to some extent, it's all happening in reverse order. I can't remember my initial reaction to the scene in Seeds of Doom where the Doctor, Sarah Jane, and Scorby are hiding out in the cottage as the crinoid tentacles smash through a window, but I have a feeling it's not unlike, what, it's not unlike when that murderous worm first appeared in this strip. And no spoilers here, but I must say, what an ending. Drawn by John Ridgway, whose name is spelled incorrectly in the credits, John has an extensive body of work in the Hooniverse. Are you listening? In a word, weird, and I hope there's more to that story at a later time. Character likenesses are convincing, and the story moves along at a good pace. I just don't know where it's going. Glenn, you may well be rolling your eyes at this moment, wondering how I missed an obvious clue as to the meaning of this short story. So if so, please enlighten me. Cheers, Blue Box Bill McCann III. Uh, Bill, I think if I remember this one, and it's been a while since I read it, uh, this is the one with the city that has the inner voice, and it's excited to to about the new travelers. I think this is the one. Um, I will say that it appears, peeking ahead, there is a payoff to this, and I think it's later in that same collection of comics, but it won't. we won't get to it until we're reviewing uh, Seventh Doctor stuff, so we'll have to wait a bit. Um, and then I think we've got one more from Bill that will catch us up to where I am now. The Complete Adventures Feedback 1.4. Hello, Glenn. I've read dozens of strips beyond those mentioned here. I'm about to begin The Hunters of Xerox and have no clue about it, although if it has anything to do with photocopying, I think it will become I will become quite <laughs> Xerox, I get it, will be quite, quite cross unless it's an army of mime doing the hunting. Uh, during my school days as a youngster, I rather enjoyed the smell of paper fresh from the ditto machine with its fragrant blue, uh, pale blue ink, the official color of the army of mime. Mimeograph paper was intoxicating, so if it's the army of mime hunting down Xerox to put, down, <laughs> put an end <laughs> into its tasteful, t tasteless, odorless process, I say bring them on. I remember Mimeograph as well. Uh, I, I thought it had a bit of a purple tinge to it, but maybe that was early Xerox. I wanted to let you know that I've been running, uh, keeping a running commentary in a text document on my iPad Pro as I read these strips. Fear not, my $2 reviews have 
been discounted. Before long, you'll be receiving my, just my two cents, and I expect you'll be glad up for it. I can't promise. Uh, I won't. Uh, I won't get wound up on it every once in a while, but I do see a, a trend towards short and sweet critiques. That's good. The Klepton Parasites. Okay, here's one I originally read as a black and white comic to find in color in issue number two of Doctor Who Classic Comics. This story has the distinction of being the very first Doctor Who comic strip ever, originally published in November of 1964. As evidenced numerous times throughout early televised Doctor Who, up to and including the third Doctor, and even in a few stories which followed the, during the Tom Baker era, uh, what we didn't know about the Doctor outweighed what we knew. The Klepton Parata Parasites makes it abundantly clear in how the lead character is much more Doc Holliday than Doctor Who. Two new grandchildren to the Doctor appear in this strip. Both appear younger than Susan, at least in terms of stature by comparison to the Doctor, which I suppose is a safe way of introducing the Doctor's character to a younger audience, although I must say that John and Jillian seem rather mature for their age, mature and savvy. I would agree. Minus technology, the Kleptons would pass... Uh, for the ineptons, just saying, <laughs> the Thorovian Quest. It's funny in an odd way to see these strips so many years after they were first published, sort of a timey-wimey before it was cool. Uh, there's a single frame of a rocket blasting off from an unnamed planet and is implausible as a threat which necessitates this hastened departure. That scene epitomizes sci-fi of the day, and rightfully so, it displays the name of its creator, Neville Maine, in the corner of the frame. Born in 1913, Neville is credited as the artist for nearly every TV comic Doctor Who stories. His body of work is massive and impressive, capturing the spirit and likeness of the Doctor. This strip was released in 1965, which it's, uh, is still early days for human spaceflight, Evidenced by a rather sleek and aerodynamic rocket, perhaps indicating man's limited knowledge of space and time, or rather the vacuum of space, wherein there is little to no friction and therefore no need for slippery-shaped spacecraft, see Red Dwarf, <laughs> still Neville's take on space travel is magnificent. The Thorovian Quest is a fun little romp. I especially like Ixon's carriages which blend design elements reminiscent of toboggans and oddly enough 1960s american hot rods and how they glide along the planet's surface presumably on ice ice paths the hijackers of thrax again very much a time of its time and violent that is unless you believe having a metal bucket filled with sand dropped on your head is a friendly overture hope this finds you sean and keith well until next time happy travels blue box bill mccann the third thank you bill i appreciate you following along with this and um, that actually gets me into the two stories that i'm tackling this week uh the thorovian quest and uh the hijackers of thrax so let me jump into it uh, as bill mentioned the art is uh done by neville mcgann uh these were issues 684 to 689 of the tv comics and uh, as he said this was january of 1965 uh, from my research uh, at the time, the Romans and the Web Planet would have been on television. So, fresh off their encounter with the Kleptons, the, do uh, the Doctor, Jillian, and John are traveling in the TARDIS when the console jam jams and they're forced to crash on a uh, nearby moon. 
there they discover a stranded spaceship and a large monster that's ready to attack them. They run to the spaceship and they meet the small humanoid alien. Um, small, bald, big eyes, very human-like, but almost kind of cartoonish in, in nature. Uh, we learn that, it, that his name is Greg and he comes from Theros and he's been searching for a cure to a, a strange weakness that's crippling his people. Um, the monster starts to attack him again, uh, but the doctor's able to repair uh, Greg's ship and uh, they are able to take off for Theros. Uh, on Theros, the doctor learns uh, that the cure can be found in a, a moss from the planet uh, uh, Ixon. And so the doctor's grandchildren and Greg go to Ixon and then they're captured when they get there. The doctor convinces, convinces the Ixon leader, whose name is the Great Ixa, uh, that they need to find this moss and cure the Therovians. And uh, the Great Ixa then allows them to go collect the moss at the center of the planet. But we soon learn, soon learn that his plans are to uh, make the moss, uh, take the moss from them when he, when he gets it and use it to extort the Therovians. Uh, the doctor, John, and Jillian, and Grig, uh, they all collect the moss, but they're prevented from leaving the planet. Uh, as uh, the leader reveals his plans and then the doctor sets a fire in the throne room and allows them to, to escape they return to Theros with uh, Theros with the, with the cure excuse me um, I quite enjoyed this story uh, it's an unassuming little story um, not really long not, I don't think it was as long as the um, uh, Klypton Parasites um, it has all of the great pieces of a good Doctor Who adventure uh, art in the story, uh, it's a little more cartoonish, I think, in this one, um, but it's easy to look at, and I like that. I enjoy that a lot. There are a good number of action pieces, um, and the um, escape that the Doctor comes up with with setting fire in the throne, throne room I thought was pretty believable. Uh, I can imagine that a planet of ice dwellers might show a weakness to fire. So uh, I enjoyed this one. It was a good little story. And uh, let's move on to the hijackers of Thrax. Again, uh, art by Neville Maine. This would have been issues 690 to 692, so this is a short one, uh, published in March of 1965, and on TV at the time would have been The Web Planet, which, interestingly enough, this will tie in with my next uh, one that I review, not in this particular episode, but coming up, because the next story happens to be a Web Planet story, so I'm, I'm excited to get there and see what that's all about. Uh, this was also reprinted in Doctor Who Classic Comics. I think Bill mentioned uh, Classic Comics, which is, is e the easiest way to come by these um, because TV comic obviously isn't around. Um, you can find scans on the Internet occasionally, uh, but I'm finding more success in finding um, old uh, Classic Comics issues to, to read these. So at the beginning of this one, we're told that the year is 2075 and the supply ship from Earth to Venus has disappeared, and we find out that it's happened six times before this. The TARDIS lands on top of a space station, and it's just covered in completely in this mist. And the Doctor sees the crews being taken prisoner. So John goes. So they 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 go inside, and John, as uh, Bill alluded to, uh, knocks him out, knocks out a guard by dropping the bucket of sand on his head. Um, we then find out that the space station is under the command of Captain uh, Thrax and his pirates. Uh, and they've been drawing these supply ships off course so that they can capture them and take the cargo and sell the cargo. And just as the doctor and the prisoners are set to leave, Thrax shows up and the doctor's grandchildren are, are caught. Thrax then contacts Venus and forces them to pay, tens, I think it was 10,000 Earth pounds, which apparently in the future we're all using Earth pounds, so no dollars. <laughs> for for the food they need. Um, meanwhile, John helps the prisoners escape by greasing the entranceway with a bar of soap, making it slippery so that the so that the guards slip when they come in. 
Uh, more guards arrive, and uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Thraxton. Uh, the doctor sends some prisoners uh, off to warn Earth of what's happening. Uh, more guards arrive, and the doctor tells the crew uh, to throw potatoes at him that he's found in, in, in these bags sitting in a corner uh, in order to knock the guards out, which they do. Uh, the doctor then confronts Thrax and asks him to take him to the mist machine. Now he's, he's pulled a gun on him. He's gotten a gun from the guards, and he's actually pulled a gun. So the doctor with a gun, again, product of his time, not something we would necessarily see nowadays, although off and on the doctor has been known to utilize a, a gun when necessary. Uh, they break the mist-making machine um, by throwing, once again, potatoes at it. <laughs> and then that reveals the... Uh, space station in the sky and the space police that's what they're called in this strip uh find the base and they come and arrest the pirates um i am glad that this story was shorter than the previous ones um it's not a terrible story it's it for for what it is it's good but it does get very corny as the storyline progresses um it was a little hard to small swallow the throwing potatoes at the guards and, and or the potato being a mechanic twice was probably just about the extent that uh uh, I could have gone. Uh, the pirates are very much stereotypical pirates. Um, they're modeled after the, after the Treasure Island formula of the R, me matey, uh, you know, uh, me hardies was used in there a lot. Um, instead of land lubbers, they would uh, say space lubbers, which then, uh, you know, forced me to uh, read that speech in my head because some of it was phonetically sp spelled out. Um, so again, that added to sort of the corn, uh, corny element to it. Uh, it didn't help that it was pretty much, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, it didn't help that Thrax had a, um, eye patch even. Um, again, John's given a role of man of action, which I think I commented about this in the, um, Kleptons, um, which in itself isn't bad, but companions, um, I mean, they're they're traveling with the doctor. He's a relatively frail old man. I mean, he's not, he's not you know about to fall over on himself. But um, the problem that I have is, and and again, putting putting the perspective when these were written, it it puts the doctor in a light of not hesitating to put the kids in direct danger. Um, indirect danger, I can forgive, but he's he's allowing this to happen each time. So uh, you kind of have to get a step back and look at it and go okay yeah th at the time this is this is what we had to do with it um I'm, I'm okay with that i guess if john doesn't step up and take the role of fighter there's not really anyone else who will although all of the um uh prisoners are encouraged to throw uh the potatoes at the guards when they're escaping so i suppose there's that um overall I, you know these are they're still two good stories um they i think uh they fall into that retro sci-fi feel that I mentioned uh, last uh, show um, that I really enjoy. Um, they have a certain amount of charm to them. I think one of the things that I have noticed in these, though, and, and Billy, you'll have to comment on this too, maybe, uh, is that John and Jillian don't appear as young as they did in the Klepton Parasite story. And while it, it only bothered me slightly, it's it's strange that there's this inconsistency, especially when the, all of these strips are done by Neville Main. So... Uh, and I would agree with Bill in the fact that the for for their age, what I presume is their age, um, they are very they are much more mature and savvy. So, 
I hope you guys are enjoying these. Uh, the plan is to continue going on with them. Uh, I will mention that uh, we, of course, are returning soon, and there should be a schedule up, I believe, this week. Um, just a little hint ahead uh, coming up on the schedule. Uh, we'll take a few weeks to finish the lockdown material uh, that uh, played uh, a few months back when uh, we were doing the watch-alongs on Twitter with the rest of Doctor Who fandom. Uh, we're also going to do a recon. I believe right now we have the reconstruction of the Myth Makers in the pipeline. So we will be reviewing the reconstruction of that. Uh, I believe we have the loose cannon version, and we will be doing the uh, novelization with that as well. And then in about a month from now, uh, we're going to start doing the Time Lord Victorious uh, crossover event that's uh, in several different media. And so uh, that's all coming. So keep listening. We are coming back full time, big, you know, uh, full length episodes. Uh, we'll continue to, you know, sparse in some of these side trips as well as we go. And uh, be sure to give me some feedback if you guys too are uh, joining Bill and I on this uh, endeavor to uh, read some of these classic comics. And uh, as he mentioned, is some of them are kind of difficult to get your hands on, but um, get them as you can. Uh, if that's going to do it for this week, until next time, <laughs> I am uh, Glenn, and thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.